Welcome to the Bonafide Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cottrell, and I have more than 10 years of NCAA Division I and Division II men's basketball coaching experience with contacts and relationships across the nation and across all levels. I'm here to provide news, analysis, and unprecedented insight into NCAA Division II men's basketball. This is the content you are not getting on ESPN. The purpose of the Bonafide Basketball Podcast is to promote, popularize, and celebrate the incredible men's basketball programs, players, and coaches across the NCAA Division II level. In a bonus episode of the Bonafide Basketball Podcast, I've got a very special guest today. I'm, I'm super excited for this. Um, it, it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. John McCarthy tonight, the founder of Small College Basketball. He is the go-to. He is uh, he's the Adrian Wojnarowski of Small College Basketball, and, and I am so thankful he's doing this. We're going to go through uh, a preview of the Division II teams, the top 20, top 25 tonight. And, uh, and John, thanks so much for doing this. How are you? Well, Chris, I'm doing, uh, doing fantastic. And honestly, uh, as we talked about off air, uh, this is just a thrill. We're just, I think we're both uh, just genuinely basketball junkies uh, that just enjoy the heck out of this stuff. So I'm thrilled to be here with you. And uh, honestly, it's, uh, uh, it's an honor for me to be on with you tonight. So thank you. Well, well, John, I want to acknowledge you for all that you've done for the game. Uh, you cover NCAA Division II, NCAA Division Three. NAIA, both levels, USCSAA, and NCCAA. You do so much for small college basketball, and knowing you, having a relationship with you, really spurred me to dig into Division II uh, this year. And uh, I, I want you to know you've had an influence on, on me, but on countless others across the country in small college basketball. And I want to thank you for that. I want to acknowledge you for that. So before we even get started, like this is all you, man. You've had a, a tremendous impact on me and so many of my fellow coaches and so many friends. Uh, I, I know we're all very thankful. You, you know, it's that's rather humbling. You know, it's it's something to hear such kind words from you and uh, from coaches around the country. Where at the end of the day, uh, I'm I'm kind of living a dream, a, a passion, if you will, and uh, trying to to represent the game in a positive manner and represent uh, the coaches the players, the contributors in, in our game of basketball in a positive manner. And uh, as you're aware, it's been our intent from the early days to create a platform, a national platform uh, for those great players, coaches, contributors to our game. And, uh, and we've, we're in the process. We're five years in to the creation of small college basketball. And uh, it has just been a thrill uh, to get where we are. But I'm also very, very well aware and very conscious uh, of the people that follow along with us, whether it's on our website, our social media platforms, uh, that come to our events, that come to our Hall of Fame induction ceremony, that come to our Hall of Fame classic, that come to our national awards ceremony, uh, that it's uh, those people uh, that therefore create the platform because they follow along. And, uh, and I'm very grateful for the kind words from you and from coaches throughout the country. So uh, truly, uh, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. Much appreciated. Well, of course, of course. And real quick, we're going we're gonna to dive into a deep and uh, really intricate preview of, of Division II men's basketball. We had some great announcements this week. But I do want to give you a moment 
John, just talk to the listeners about small college basketball and your Hall of Fame, your Hall of Fame classic, some of the things you have going on uh, and what you can tell us about, you know, where you're at in year five. Yeah, thank you for the uh, the platform and uh, and the opportunity to speak a little bit about small college basketball. So uh, in a nutshell, where we are today is uh, we are into year five of the Hall of Fame induction. We had announced that class, which was supposed to be inducted roughly uh, a couple weeks ago, last uh, couple of days in October. But obviously with the COVID pandemic, that's been pushed back. Uh, that class of 2020 will actually be inducted early November of 2021. Uh, so we're in our fifth year of Hall of Fame induction class. And uh, just just as a note on that, that's been a, an incredible thrill. I put together a committee of uh, coaches and commissioners and SIDs and uh, basketball historians from different parts of the country representing the different levels of small college basketball. And uh, to stand on stage for that first year, uh, that year was in Evansville, Indiana, and, and look out and in person, we had Earl the Pearl Monroe and Jerry Sloan and Travis Grant, Dick Barnett, John Rinka, John Ebling, Lucius Jackson. Uh, what a thrill. And over the past few years in person, we've had everybody from Jack Sigma to, to Bob Love. Uh, Terry Porter, M.L. Carr, Philip Hutchinson, John Pierce, I can go on and on, uh, Truck Robinson, World Be Free, have been there in person. So, you know, for the kid who used to shovel the driveway to, uh, to shoot in the winter and had X's and boxes on the wall down the basement to work on a passing and to, used to sleep with a basketball, uh, it has been an incredible honor and a thrill uh, to bring this Hall of Fame to life and get to spend time uh, with such incredible um, accomplished people in the basketball community. It's been a real thrill. Uh, and one of my personal thrills was to introduce the Naismith family, Dr. Naismith's grandchildren, Jim Naismith and Helen Naismith Carpenter, uh, and spend a bit of time with them. And so that's been a real thrill, the creation of the Hall of Fame. But as you know, from the, the coaching side of things, we've also been very fortunate that the Division II Conference Commissioners Association has provided an exemption for our Hall of Fame Classic which started with six teams and went to eight teams by year two and has been eight teams ever since. And uh, we've had the finest teams in Division II basketball in the country starting our events each year. Uh, by example, the last two national champions have started in our events. Uh, last year, the 2019 event, uh, as we started the season, or number one, number two, and number three in the final poll. I know we'll talk about them in a little bit here, but they all started our event in Northwest Missouri State, uh, Lincoln Memorial and West Texas A&M uh, all started our event uh, last year. And I know you'll touch on this in a minute. I don't want to steal any thunder. Those, those, <laughs> those three teams ended up the season 95 and three. Uh, it was just incredible. So we've had truly the, among the best of the best in the country in our event there. And then on the back end of the season, uh, we created the celebration of the game event, which has just been a real thrill. Everything from, uh, bringing in the national championship coaches from each of the levels uh, to our national award winners, the Bevo Francis Award, the Larry Smith Award, the Harry Statham Coach of Impact Award, and the Lifetime Achievement Award winner. Uh, we present the national awards with staging, lighting, sound, at a social event afterwards, at a social event the night before, a coaches clinic. I'll do the State of Small College Basketball Address, and then working in conjunction with our uh, videographer, uh, Rick Wagner, who's phenomenal. At the end of the year, we also create the season highlight video for college basketball at the small college level. So uh, under the umbrella, we've gotten quite a bit done. Oh, and we created the Alumni Association, which has really <laughs> taken off as well. 
And now we've reached, recently launched the Small College Basketball Foundation, uh, the 501c3 nonprofit arm of Small College Basketball. And uh, we will announce uh, a few items that we're going to launch under the umbrella of Small College Basketball in the near future. So um, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to ramble on for just a moment about Small College Basketball. I think it's may become fairly obvious that this is a passion. And uh, it's just a thrill to get an opportunity to talk about it. And uh, I'm just very, very grateful uh, for you having me on to talk about it and for all the coaches uh, who have been so supportive in our efforts over the years. So thank you so much and uh, much more to come as we grow and, and go forward. Yeah, absolutely. You're doing, I mean, such a wonderful job with small college basketball and not, you know, people think of NCAA basketball, John, and there's so much more to it. And you've done such a wonderful job of promoting you know, NAIA, USC, SAA, and then NCAA, you've done such a great job of giving those, uh, those leagues and conferences and players and programs a platform. Uh, I think that that's something that has to be mentioned as well. I was there in 2016 for year one. I remember. And it, I mean, what an incredible experience, you know, to see Earl the Pearl Monroe come up uh, in that first year. And then, just to be around such great, I mean, great basketball. You're talking the year we were there, we played, um, you know, Kentucky Wesleyan and Alabama Huntsville, two perennially strong programs. And, uh, you know, just an incredible experience to be out at the Ford Center, you know. Uh, and so I, I'm very pleased to tell people I was part of that. You know, I'm very proud of that. That uh, that was really cool to see it at the beginning and now here to be talking five years later is awesome. You know, one, one quick story I just heard uh, in the past week, week and a half, is I was talking to a guy on our Hall of Fame committee who has been there for all Hall of Fame inductions and uh, and he told me a story I didn't didn't know from that first event. And I thought it was really neat uh, is that he said after the Hall of Fame induction, uh, we had a little social event. Of course, I knew that part because I was there. <laughs> but uh, but he said he went over to uh, sitting at the bar was Earl Monroe sitting with his old uh, Knicks teammate, uh, Dick Barnett. And he said he, before he got a chance to talk to me, overheard them talking. And he said, and I thought this was just a really neat line. He said he heard Earl Monroe turn to Dick Barnett and say, you know, Dick, isn't this neat that we're alive for this here tonight? And boy, that just struck, wow. struck me at that moment yeah. thinking, that's Earl the Pearl Monroe. And he's grateful and thrilled to be alive for this moment. And I thought, man, this was an idea I had in my head a few years ago. And, and here we are with, with the, all those people gathered in that same room together. And it was just, uh, honestly, it was just a personal thrill. And I, I'm, I'm really uh, glad to hear that you enjoyed it as well and were part of that day. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. So we could talk, you know, we could talk forever about small college basketball, but, but I want to turn our attention to Division II NCAA men's basketball. Earlier in the month, John, we had the Basketball Times release their top 20. And then today, fortunately enough, we have the NABC uh, preseason coaches poll come out. And, you know, for, for people that follow it, no surprises at the top. So I want to dive into the top three teams in both polls. Number one, unanimously, Northwest Missouri State, number two, Lincoln Memorial, and number three uh, in the NABC Coaches Poll, West Texas A&M. Uh, the Basketball Times has West Texas uh, at number two and Lincoln Memorial number three, but that's splitting hairs. You know, these three programs, as you mentioned, combined 
95 and three last year, all programs were regular season and conference tournament champions. All were number one seeds in their regions. You know, they're in a league of their own. And something that struck me is they all led the nation. They were top in the nation in scoring margin last year. And this is all amid a shutdown, right? When they're all, they all they've all got it rolling. I know Lincoln Memorial had won, I think, 30, uh, 31 straight, 32. maybe 30 straight, and 32 straight. You know, so, I mean, let's dive into these teams. Because Northwest Missouri State, watching them on film, they are really good. And they've got, you know, they've got five guys back who can really play. Yeah, so in each poll, and I, I even want to take that one step further and, and acknowledge what uh, uh, Wayne Cavati put out from the Division Two. Uh, on the NCAA.com when he put his power 10, if you will. And of course, he's got mm-hmm. Northwest Missouri State number one as well. So uh, across the board with all three of those, if you will, basketball times, uh, the NABC poll and what Wayne put out, uh, Northwest Missouri State is is one. And, and I just want to make a couple of notes on them. Uh, first and foremost, they are incredibly well coached. Uh, ben McCollum just does a fantastic job. And if you think about it, here's just a couple of numbers that are just somewhat mind-boggling, especially when you realize that they play in a really good league. They play in the MIAA, which is uh, year in and year out, one of the best and most deep conferences in the country. In the last two years, uh, Northwest Missouri State is 69 wins and one loss. In the last four years, they have won 131 games, which is the uh, most wins in a four-year span in NCAA Division II history. Uh, In that span, they've won two national championships and went into the NCAA tournament last year with with being ranked number one in the country. And so what a run. I mean, just incredible. I mean, it's – yeah, it's incredible. And within that, five straight MIAA tournament championships. So, like, it's hard enough to – it's really, really hard to win your regular season. And they are back-to-back, uh, I think, to back regular season champs. And then five straight, going back five years, five straight MIAA tourneys. I mean, the the standard of excellence there in the last five years under Ben McCollum is incredible. Well, and, and what's something is, if you remember, a couple years ago – uh, they won the national title uh, with Justin mm-hmm. Pitts, National Player of the Year. It's fan- fantastic. Uh, actually, they won it, and then he came back for his senior year, and uh, and then he got hurt midway through the season and was on and off injured throughout the year, and to the point where the MIAA championship game, he actually had to come out of the game and didn't play in the, the end of it, didn't play in the NCAA tournament, and they re- lost their first-round game without uh, the National Player of the Year, Justin Pitts. But the big question then, of course, they lost him and another couple seniors that were really good. And the question, of course, after that is now what happens after Justin Pitts? The point of running the point has been so effective and so good. And the next year is they had been redshirting Trevor Hudgens during Justin's senior year. So the next year they opened up our, in our event in St. Joe. And, uh, and, the, and so we put uh, Northwest against the defending national runner-up in Northern State and the defending national champion uh, in back-to-back uh, game, Ferris State, in back-to-back games. And here they go 
uh, with, uh, with two freshman guards in Trevor Hudgens and Diego Bernard, and they beat both defending national champion and uh, national runner-up in back-to-back games in our event to start it off. And if you think about it going forward now, that backcourt of Trevor Hudgens and Diego Bernard is now 69 wins and one loss together. They've lost one game in two years. They have not lost a home game in those two years. They won 33 straight at home uh, with that backcourt. So I want to acknowledge uh, Trevor Hudgens, uh, isn't just pretty good. Uh, I mean, he's, he's phenomenal. I mean, he's, just, he's incredible. He's just, he's just, he's, incredible. he's just that good. I mean, he's, um, I, I don't, I want to be careful not to over-exaggerate it, but, um, but he's really, really, yeah. really good. I mean, about as good as it gets in division two basketball. Um, the, the only, uh, you know, loss other than central Missouri they had last year is they were up, upset by Duke at Cameron indoor stadium by five. <laughs> upset. Uh, yeah. I think uh, top of my head, I think Trevor had 26 or 27, I believe against Duke and was the leading scorer in the game as a sophomore. So he's heading into his junior year. Um, I mean, he's, I'd say this, he's clearly, uh, uh, you know, first team all American and it's probably between, yep. between him and his teammate, Ryan Hawkins uh, for the, the, you know, best player in the country uh, this, this, year i would think i mean i i had one of the finest coaches in the country that was not in their league and is not named ben mccollum was not in the miaa so the <laughs> best two players in the country they saw last year were trevor hudges and ryan hawkins um and and so i want to acknowledge trevor gets a lot of the credit and frankly mm-hmm. he should he's that good uh i don't want to make any mistake about that he's that freaking good but but what a lot of people miss ryan hawkins actually led the team in scoring rebounding steals blocks and he shot 56 percent from the field 45 percent from the three-point line 80 percent from the free throw line and he's six seven um he was yeah. and, and trevor he was the player he was the defensive player of the year in the yeah, two years in a row trevor was the player yeah. of the year in the miaa hawkins is the defensive player of the year uh they could have made it co-player of the year in the league for that matter uh yeah, yeah. interesting story trevor hudgens was the uh he was the MVP of our Hall of Fame Classic as a freshman. And then the next year, Ryan Hawkins goes crazy and has the school record 44 points against a really good Southern Nazarene team with Jonathan Dunn at 44 in our, our event, set the school record. Well, a few games later, I'm watching them play uh, Lincoln in Missouri, out of Jefferson, Missouri, at Lincoln. And uh, in Northwest Missouri State, the Bearcats are just putting on a clinic. And they're up by so much that they take Ryan out of the game, Hawkins, with about five or six minutes left in the game. And at the time that they took him out, I remember looking at the scoreboard, and it was Ryan Hawkins 43, and it was Lincoln 42. Uh, they, when he came out of the game, Hawkins had more points than the entire Lincoln team at that point. Uh, <laughs> he, he's just so – and it's something. When you watch these guys in warm-ups – they don't they don't look anything particularly special to be honest they're just so well coached they're so disciplined on both ends of the court and so the ones that are going to get the most attention are really good are trevor hudgens ryan hawkins diego bernard um, but but i want to bring some attention a team where hey we just key on trevor we just key on ryan mm-hmm. this is a very well coached very balanced team uh last year west dreamer and luke waters came in west dreamer was a six seven he- true freshman 
And, and Luke Waters was a redshirt freshman who's 6'6". Uh, and, and, and I'm anxious to hear your, your thoughts. I watched these guys obviously a whole lot uh, last year, probably 15, 20 games or so. I'd see a good amount of them. West Dreamer is 6'7", long arms. And as a true freshman, to step into an environment like that, and same thing with Luke Waters, that's not easy to step into a team that's that good, that's that's constantly the team that everybody wants to beat. And these guys had a lot of poise as freshmen. I think both uh, West Dreamer and Luke Waters are really good, uh, and they fit the system really well with Ben McCollum. I'm, I'm anxious to hear your, your thoughts on those guys. They, they're, they're not just, hey, we're okay complimentary players. I mean, they're good. These guys can play. What? Yeah, so there's – there's a statistic that jumped out to me when I'm doing my research on these top three teams, right? I'm looking at the top three teams, Northwest Missouri, Lincoln Memorial, West Texas. Not one of them, not one of these teams has a player in the top 25 in scoring in the, in the country last year. Huh. Not one player was in the top 25 of scoring, right, in the country. So, like, how good are the players across the country, number one, division two, but also, like, how good are these teams where the scoring is so balanced, and to your point, Northwest Missouri, I watched film, you know, tonight I was watching some film on them. I think Wes Dreamer is like, like he's, he's the cog for that yeah. because he steps out and shoots it. He rebounds the ball. You know, how good is Diego Bernard? I mean, there's a guard that doesn't get a ton of mention. And, you know, he was third team MIAA. He averaged 14 points a game, seven rebounds a game, had 120 assists, and he makes the third team. Yeah. I mean, how good is that on league? On a team that goes 31 to 1. <laughs> yeah. How good, how good is that league? How good are they? Um, but, I, but I agree with you. I think, you know, when you watch, when you watch uh, Hodgins, you know, one thing he does really well, John, is he keeps his dribble alive. Like, he gives guys the opportunity to make plays. I mean, you have um, – you know, you, you got a guy with 191 assists and only 53 turnovers. That's a guard. I mean, that is a well-coached, you know, high IQ guard. And, and then you've got guys around him that can make shots. You know, when so much attention is, is focused on, on Hawkins and then, you know, on the ball handler, it's like all you, guys just need an inch of space and they're going to be open, you know. Um, but I think I saw Wes Dreamer. You know, he, he made a ton of shots in their conference tournament. And, and like big shots, not just, not just, you know, fly by night. Uh, he was consistent throughout their conference tournament and Luke waters, uh, uh, you know, he's going to be a sophomore. I think he'll, he'll step in and have a, a really good year. He shot almost 60% from the field last year. All those guys can shoot it. Uh, you know, so like to me, them as a consensus, number one is really, you know, watching them play, looking at the numbers, um, it's it's a no-brainer, in my opinion. It, it is. And, you know, keep an eye out as, as well. So now we've got a scenario where they have five of their top seven players back, the three leading scorers back. I, I think West Dreamer is going to take a really nice step forward this year. He's already really yeah, good. Yeah, I agree. And, and to be honest, a player like West Dreamer, what a lot of people don't realize is there's a lot of Division two teams in the country – he would. He may be the best player on a lot of Division two teams uh, in the in the country. Oh, no He's question. He's really good, and and I think we're going to see from a true freshman year uh, to to just a whole lot more confidence and poise in West Dreamer this year. I think we're going to see a nice step forward. But in, in fairness, they did lose uh, Ryan Weldy, who's six eight. 
who is a just fantastic three-point shooter who who grew from his freshman year to his senior year where he was a bit of a defensive liability early in his career by the end of his career he was he was a really good defensive player he learned to use his uh, so they're going to lose Ryan Weldy, who was a great shooter, who was able to spread the court because he's hitting it from four or five feet behind the three-point line at 6'8". Uh, it, it's just a really uh, helpful when you have guards as good as Northwest. So they got to replace him. But they've got uh, four freshmen that are coming in, true freshmen, uh, that, uh, that he's going to need to get some in the rotation. The most likely, again, the, in the rotation of the freshmen are Daniel Abreu, uh, who's a six, six freshman from Springfield, Massachusetts. Ben likes him a lot. Uh, thinks he's a really good player, just a naturally gifted scorer, can go inside and outside. Uh, he averaged about 26, 27 a game in high school, just a really good player. Uh, and, and then there's a freshman from Staley High School in Kansas City uh, named Byron Alexander, who's got a great build on him, 6'4", strong combo guard, incredibly athletic. It's just going to need to get the experience of, of defending at this level, but he has the tools. He's athletic. He's strong. He's potentially going to fit into this system really well. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking, certainly we talked about the, the five, the core five that are back this year, but they're going to need to put a few other people in that rotation, and it's likely they're going to fit uh, a couple freshmen into that rotation. And just one other note uh, that is going to become an interesting theme throughout all the teams we talk to, uh, not necessarily for this year, but beyond, is the rule with the NCAA pass because of the COVID-19 that this year doesn't count in terms of eligibility. It counts in every other way, but in terms of eligibility. Right. And I just talked to Ben the other day, and the big question, of course, with with Northwest and then eventually with the rest of, of the teams that have outstanding players uh, in particular seniors is, are they really going to come back or, you know, does Ryan Hawkins turn pro uh, after, after this year? And the answer right. uh, for Northwest, by the way, is Ryan Hawkins plans to come back and play again next year. Um, and, <laughs> and so for the next couple of years, yeah. you're looking at a, a really good team. So because Hawkins does, even if he left, I'd make a case. They'd still be really yeah. good. Uh, he's the only senior in that rotation we're talking about. So they'd still be right. really good with him. Uh, well, we'll, we'll see it play itself out, but uh, barring injuries or something unforeseen Northwest Missouri state's uh, really good. And I think, uh, I think everybody hit it on the head that they're at the moment, they're the ones to knock off uh, this year. They're the, the preseason number one. And I don't think there's much question about it, honestly. Yeah. And they're the reigning national champion um, going back two years. So absolutely, absolutely a terrific program. Ben McCollum's done a great job. And, and I think you're right. You know, to touch on your point, the eligibility rule is going to impact a couple of groups of people. It's going to impact seniors. You know, I think really impact seniors this year at the college level. It's also going to impact seniors at the high school level. We're going to see a lot of prepping. Um, you know, talk to some coaches. They're concerned about what classes look like, not necessarily in 2021, but 2022. How does it impact, you know, a year or two years removed from the ruling? So something to keep an eye on, um, you know, and, and as we turn our attention now, we're looking at, Lincoln Memorial, West Texas A&M. Um, you know, I want to I want to acknowledge, you know, the job that both uh, Tom Brown and Josh Schertz have done at their respective institutions. Coach Brown at West Texas and, and Coach Schertz at Lincoln Memorial. Both were coach of the year last year. Uh, both, you know, have been in the top 25 and you're talking a combined combined record last year of of, uh, you know, 64 and two. 
And, you know, one, one of the losses for Lincoln Memorial was to West Texas A&M. So their loss was West Texas A&M. And, uh, and, you know, so you look at, that was the first game of the year and they lost to West in your, in your event. So these two teams, I think when you look at them, John, they both return outstanding guards. They both like Northwest Missouri state return multiple preseason all Americans. And, and let's hit on, let's hit on West Texas first. Um, you know, Quig Grant, the junior guard, uh, point guard, Joel Murray. And then if you look at um, Joel Fugit, three guards with over 100 assists on the year last year and extremely versatile. You know, Grant reminds me a lot of, um, you know, Hudgens in terms of his ability to keep the dribble alive, to make plays for his teammates. But I'll tell you this, when I watch West, West Texas A&M, they drive – the heck out of the ball and they drive it hard and they all drive it. And then when the defense collapses, it's like horse shots, you know, for those guys shooting threes, <laughs> they drive the ball really hard. So boy, you're, you're good. Uh, you've done your homework <laughs> clearly. And, you know, first of all, I would just want to acknowledge what, what you did in regards to Texas A&M, uh, the job that coach Tom Brown has done. Just, just a note on this. When he took over that program the year before, they were 10 and 17 overall, and they were 2 and 12 in the Lone Star Conference, dead last. Uh, since he's taken over, they're 162 and 40. They've won over 80, oh, 80% of their games, taking over a team that's 2 and 12 and dead last in the Lone Star. Uh, j- just incredible. They've uh, won 98 games in the past three seasons, uh, more than any program in the NCAA at any level, Division One, Two, or Three, over the last three years. That's the most wins. It's uh, just ahead of Gonzaga, uh, just ahead of uh, Northwest Missouri State in the last three years. If we go back four, Northwest's got them, but the last three years, incredible. Uh, they were 34 and four in 2018 19, went to 32 and four in 17 18. Uh, and then last year, mm-hmm. of course, go to 32 and one. Uh, what an incredible streak. In addition, they haven't lost at home in two and a half years. They're, they're, they won 42 consecutive games at the first United Bank Center now. So they are, uh, they're, they're rolling. Tom Brown's got them rolling. What an incredible job he's done. I tip my cap to, uh, to Coach Brown. Now, in regards to the, the players, the one thing I want to throw out, and I know you noticed, and I thought that was a really good observation on your part about how hard they drive the ball. Their style is unique. Uh, it's, 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 different. yeah. You notice, you look at the size of what they play. They're a small team. Uh, I mean, they, in terms of height, uh, in terms of, you know, strength, they're, they're not big. I mean, you look, they play guard, 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 and they are going to pressure you on defense. They are going to spread it out and drive, drive, drive on offense. However, They'll drive and kick. They'll drive and get to the bucket. They are going to beat you with quickness. They're going to beat you with pressure. Uh, they are going to swarm all over the place on both ends of the court. Uh, they're going to attack the glass. Uh, it, it's they're scrappy. They're they hustle. They work. They dive after loose balls. Frankly, uh, it's enjoyable to watch the team play that hard and just get after it for 40 minutes, and they just keep coming at you and at you and at you. And, you know, in addition to the players you mentioned, I think, you know, Quay Grant and uh, Joel Murray are going to get the credit. And and to be blunt, they deserve it. They're both All-Americans. They're legitimate. Of course, yeah, preseason yeah, All-Americans. They're, they're yep. legitimate All-Americans. They're, they're that good. Uh, I mean, you can make a case uh, between them and Northwest Missouri State 
you know, it's pretty tough to say who's got the best backcourt in the country. Uh, there, there's certainly, I'll say this, it's going to be tough to make a case for somebody other than them with the best backcourt in the country, those two teams. They're, oh. they're certainly up there. But, and, you know, one, John L. Uh, Fouguet gets um, – he doesn't get enough credit a lot of times. And you mentioned his name. I mean, here's somebody that averaged 10 points a game, but also had a hundred assists and he gets after it on defense as well. He's just, you know, up, up in you all the time, just defend, defend, defend. He's tough. But then, you know, Derek Geddes, about six, four, maybe six, five, uh, you know, lanky and just gets after it on loose balls, on rebounds, on defending sort of, I don't know if I want to say that glue guy, but pretty much that glue guy and all four of them as a note, this is interesting. In terms of uh, chemistry, all four of those are all juniors uh, that all played yes. at, together as sophomores last year, and all of them started all 33 games together. Inevitably, as you know, you've been doing this a long time or been involved in this game for a long time. Inevitably, stuff usually happens. Somebody sprains an ankle. Somebody misses a few classes and gets you know sat out or doesn't start a game. But all four of these juniors uh, played all th- or started all 33 games together. So they've got tremendous chemistry uh, co- coming back. So I, I think they're going to be really good. Uh, I, I mean, they, I think that's obviously pretty obvious, uh, you know, barring injury or something unforeseen West Texas a and is going to be going to be a really good team this year. And uh, it's not a team, a whole lot of uh, teams want to necessarily play just, they, they, they cause a lot of issues for you with that pressure. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't want to play him. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to point out two things. Number one, uh, when I watch them, I watch their game against St. Edwards in the Lone Star, uh, Lone Star championship uh, last year. And I know, I know coach cook very well, a very, very good friend. The for one team that time. beat him during the regular season. Um, yeah. And, and St. Ed's was up, I think 14 or 16 in the first half. And, you know, St. Ed's was making shots. They were defending. And then all of a sudden, West Texas just he turned up the pressure. And I'm saying pressure defensively on the ball. But when you see West Texas and those guards, Grant, Murray, uh, Fugit, when you see them drive the ball in the second half, they are putting pressure on the rim. Like they are not only getting to the rim, but they're getting to the rim and they're either getting free throws or they're finishing. I mean, there was no drive and spray. You know, it was like we're going to drive the ball, make you guard us, and we're going to get something out of it. I think – you know, I like what we did with uh, Northwest Missouri State and West Dreamer, kind of our breakout player. I think John L. Fugit is a breakout player for West Texas. Good now. call. Yeah, I think great, great call on that. And like, like I said, I, I don't think he always gets the credit he deserves in the fact that Quay Grant and Joel Murray take the, the headlines. Again, they deserve them. But in but this is a truly a team effort where they don't care who gets the points who gets the assist who gets the steal but Fouguet can defend he gets loose balls he's a he's a good player he's really good player yeah he's really good and you know like they, they are relentless you watch that you watch their their games and they are just relentless as you've said um so I think you know three years in a row they're Lone Star Conference regular season champions. I think they are you know probably at the top of that league again this year, and and you know you can split hairs over number two and number three nationally because Lincoln Memorial under Josh Shirts, you know they, they've had quite a run uh, themselves as you're aware. You know full disclosure, uh, we're both very close with Coach Shirts and. Uh, 
I'm not sure who that benefits more, him or us. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know, look at the, look at the rail splitters, John. I mean, they returned two preseason All Americans. They run through the SAC conference last year, 22 and 0, regular season champs, tournament champs, and you know Queens is always contending in that league. Uh, but they have. You know, their defense, the defensive player in the league back and Cam Henry, preseason All-American. They've got Devin Whitfield back, who is a tremendous defender in his own own right. Um, you know, the rail splitters just they always find a way, you know, to to kind of to be in the mix at the very, very top of Division Two. So I, I want to bridge this gap as we just went from West Texas A&M to Lincoln Memorial with uh, with, with something I think is uh, really applicable here. Number one, or primarily, is that game last year between West Texas A&M and Lincoln Memorial. You're right. I'm not sure Josh likes me at the moment uh, for scheduling that one. But uh, it was if you look back on it now, you're looking back saying, geez, it turns out in the opening game of the season last year, you've got truly two of the very elite programs in the country. But but what happened if people didn't see it or weren't there uh, was pretty spectacular. You got a game that um, uh, West Texas A&M was winning most of the game. Uh, all of a sudden, Lincoln Memorial starts making a little bit of run and all of a sudden they catch him. And uh, with about four or five seconds left, uh, Voss McCauley hits a three for Lincoln Memorial to go up, which most people thought they just won the game. They hit a three with about four seconds left uh, to, to go up by three. Well, Quay Grant comes back down the other end and hits a three with about a second left to send the game into overtime, of which West Texas A&M ends up winning then. And just a terrific game. And I, I say that because these teams are were really evenly matched a year ago. And you got West Texas A&M who brings back just about everybody off that team, four out of the five starters, the first two players off the bench. So six of their top seven players are back. Uh, Lincoln Memorial, you know, in, in looking at this a little further, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, they're, I mean, heck, they won 32 straight games after that. I mean, it's, they're, they're rolling. And, and, you know, one of the things I think is a little bit overlooked, I think is going to be an interesting thing to play out. And I'm glad you brought up the the piece about you and I have known Josh for a long time. You used to coach with him. I used to coach with him a long time before. Uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm the one who made the phone call to the old AD at Lincoln Memorial uh, in terms of getting Josh the job. I'm not saying it was because of me, certainly, uh, but but I spent quite a bit of time talking to that athletic director about taking a uh, leap of faith on Josh. And uh, boy, that, that guy looks smart right now. Uh, he it, does, it, doesn't he? Some, but <laughs> Uh, but so Cam Henry and Devin Whitfield, just a couple notes on them. One, Cam Henry, uh, I think, is going to be on a very short list uh, among the most uh, uh, among the best all around players. The person that can contribute in the most ways to a team winning. Uh, you look and say, here's a guy that people are talking about being a preseason All-American. He only averaged 13.7 points. But one, I'm going to tell you, that was on a team that was loaded. Two, uh, he was only a sophomore, but keep in mind, Kim Henry averaged eight rebounds, 3.7 assists, 2.2 steals, shot 52% from the field, 80% from the free throw line. And because they were so dominant, a lot of people miss this. He played less than 30 minutes a game. Um, and, and so he's he is on a short list among the the best all-around players in the country. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd say, is he among the best pure scorers? Probably not. Is he among the very best at one particular area? I don't know. But is he a player 
that can help you win night in and night out. Absolutely. Cam Henry, I really like him. I think he's really, really good. Uh, Devin Whitfield, you know, transferred in from Trevecca Nazarene, sat out a year, uh, and then all of a sudden comes onto the scene on a really talented team, averages 19.2 points, 4.8 rebounds, two assists, shoots 53% from the field, 82% from the line. Uh, Obviously a heck of a, heck of a start. Uh, But one thing that I think, is going to be an interesting area for Josh uh, to figure out, Coach Shirts, and it may be overlooked uh, until they really get into the heat of the season here, is they had three seniors last year uh, that were good. They had, uh, uh, you know, sort of a rock, if you will. Rondé Hackett uh, started as about mm-hmm. six eight, but he was he was tough. He didn't put up huge numbers, but he rebounded. He defended. He was a senior with experience. And, and personally, I think Anthony Brown was a bit underrated at the point guard. He handled the ball, and he could. He was so quick on both ends of the court. Could def- really defend. He could get into gaps on the offensive end, finish at the bucket, or or get in drive, draw, and dish. Uh, I thought Anthony Brown was a bit under rated and really good and he ran the point for him and of course as we both know leading scorer on the team was Voss McCauley as only a sophomore and Voss transferred I believe to DePaul and uh, and so you lose the guy who's the leading scorer you lose your point guard and you lose kind of your rock in the middle so they really did lose lose three starters and we'll talk about a team that we're putting in the top three in the country Uh, having said that of course they have the two um, really good players in Cam Hundry and Devin Whitfield back. Uh, what I think is going to help get them there. So I guess what I'm getting at is they're preseason number three in the country with only two starters back. Uh, th- that's uh, that's a tall order, if you will, uh, for for this team. And I think that it's going to be um, it, it's not it's not going to be a matter of just showing up. Uh, in, in winning, especially against you know the talented teams of a Queens and and others at that level. So having said that. I thought Julius Brown came off the bench was really good as a as a backup point guard last year. He's obviously going to yep. see a lot of minutes. Alex Dowling can really shoot the ball. Um, and, and what I think we're going to see this year, there's a transfer named Jordan Guest, about six nine junior this year. And that that additional rule where you get an extra year, in essence, all of a sudden Jordan Guest has three years if he chooses to use it, and that could be a big big deal. And then the other uh, X factor. Maybe not this year, but but going forward is the development of Simon Wilbur, a 6'11 redshirt freshman uh, from Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, Josh thinks has got a chance to be really special in the big picture. But again, he's only a redshirt freshman, hasn't played a moment of college basketball yet. Uh, and so I think it's going to take a little bit of time for him to develop. But if he develops as coach thinks he can over the next couple years, uh, I, I think we got a team that we're looking at here uh, that you're looking at Jordan Guest as a 6'9 junior at the moment who potentially could have three years left. Simon Wilbur's a 6'11 freshman. Cam Henry's only a junior. Julius Brown's a junior. Uh, we're looking at a team this year. It's going to be a, a heck of a coaching job for Josh, although I think we both agree he's really, really special as a coach, to see how this team gels throughout the season when you actually lost three players that started last year that were good players, um, I, I think it's going to be take a heck of a coaching job. But I think we both agree that Josh is up to the task. He's really good. Yeah, he he is really good. And I think I think you're right. He can hit the nail on the head with a guy like Julius Brown stepping in, stepping up. You know, uh, a- a- Alex Dowling. The one thing I'll say, a guy like Alex Dowling playing at Lincoln Memorial. 
when he now you look at him as a junior, he averaged six points per game, three rebounds per game on a team that was loaded. But he's been there. He's got corporate knowledge. He's been there. A guy like Alex Dalling makes Lincoln Memorial takes Lincoln Memorial to the next level in a year like this. His corporate knowledge, his experience, when you're only returning two starters, when Julius Brown's coming in, coming off the bench, you know, guys like Alex Dowling, the thing that Josh does, Coach Shirts does best, I think, is, is put his pieces together. And a guy like Alex Dowling is that last piece in a year like this where there's some uncertainty, not sure who's going to fill what role and how they're going to play and how consistent they're going to be. A guy like Alex Dowling, you know, he writes the ship. Uh, at Lincoln Memorial and, and we coach church has, 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 you know, hung his hat on players like that every year, year in and year out glue guys that go through the program, go through the system and are able to kind of bring talent together, you know, by their senior year, they really kind of, they become a player led team. And I think that's, you know, one thing that Josh does, does at a very elite level is build his program with pieces. You know, he doesn't, doesn't just throw great players together. He builds, you know, he builds a puzzle uh, with great pieces. So I look for Alex Dowling to really step up this year. And, and I, I think you're right. You know, a lot of unanswered questions, but if anyone can figure it out, it, it's a Lincoln Memorial. I, I just uh, two comments. One, did you just use the term corporate knowledge in regards to Alex Dowling? I love it. I haven't heard that. That was fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's it. You know what? I got, I got to give credit to coach shirts. That's a, that's a, that's a thing we talked about in the program was corporate knowledge, but you know, Alex Dowling redshirted, he's there. He learns the system. He goes from scout team to, you know, to contributor. And now as a senior, his role isn't necessarily defined, but he knows his role, you know, and, and he's going to be able, it becomes a player led team at that point when he knows his role as a senior, he's got other guys around, you know, and, and just studying and speaking quite a bit around the country in regards to, uh, you know, leadership and what we learn from great coaches. Uh, one of the one of the traits of a great coach is ultimately uh, to get to that point where your team really becomes a player led team. And and I love the fact that you brought that up in in this context because as that develops over the course of this year, after losing three really good players, uh, as as they they create their own identity as their own team in twenty twenty one. Uh, I, I think you're right. I think this is this team will evolve. But the, the other thing, the, the second thing I want to mention, in addition to that wonderful phrase, the cor- corporate knowledge, I love it, uh, it is, <laughs> it, is that Josh Schertz, uh, obviously, I think most people recognize he's clearly a, a, a top, top uh, tier coach, but he's really smart. He's really intelligent as a human being, and he applies this to coaching. And so when you go back to that, the term you used was, you know, putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, I think it's going to really help Lincoln Memorial to have Josh Schertz at the helm in this case uh, where you've got, you know, truly some unanswered uh questions, if you will, or a lot of pieces of the puzzle to fit in uh, that have left after last year. And having somebody that's as intelligent as Josh uh, and as good at putting the pieces together from that puzzle, um, I I think that's a real advantage for Lincoln Memorial to have somebody that smart at the helm. Yeah, I I agree. I think think they're lucky to have him. I think you're going to see real growth, you know, out of guys like Julius Brown and, and Cam Henry, even as juniors, I think the, they'll really grow. So excited to see what happens. You know, we, we're talking about the top three teams in the, in the country and, you know, Lincoln Memorial, West Texas A&M and Northwest Missouri state. I mean, we could talk, 
we could do a preview of those three teams for, for hours, you know, and, uh, and, and I want to do, I want to dig in a little bit to the next tier of teams because we start to see, John, we start to see a little bit of difference um, between the NABC poll earlier today and the basketball times. And then obviously uh, what Wayne put out in his power 10 for the NCAA. I'm going to go by the basketball times, but West Liberty came in um, at number four in the, in, in the basketball times. They came in at number seven in the NABC poll. And then Wayne had them ranked number, uh, number two in the country uh, for the NCAA power 10. And, you know, Ben Hallett's done a great job there. Um, you know, they have the reigning Mountain East player of the year, Dalton Bolton averaged, you know, a double, double grad student who, you know, this year in this rule for the NCAA could impact him. Does he come back? Does, you know, will Yoakum get an extra year out of it? He was first team all conference uh, in the Mountain East. So, you know, West Liberty is a team that's really intriguing to me uh, because of the success that, that Coach Hallett's had and who they have back. Yeah, you know, that, that's a great point. Uh, first of all, I just want to acknowledge that we have with the others the job that Ben Hallett's done. You know, there's a lot of question marks. West Liberty's been a, a national player for many, many years, literally a decade under Jim Crutchfield, longer than a decade. And what an unbelievable job that he's done. Moves down to Nova Southeastern. We'll get to them in just a moment. Um, and a lot of people could make a case that uh, Nova Southeastern's right in this discussion, too. And I'd, I'd make that case as well. But, you know, there's question marks. When you lose a legend in Coach Jim Crutchfield uh, to go of, you know, are we going to be able to continue this on? And Ben Howlett, who is an assistant for Coach Crutchfield, takes over. And think about this. I mean, there's a little bit of pressure on him taking over for a legend. And, you know, sure, the first year you could make a case that, hey, these are a lot of uh, uh, Coach Crutchfield's players, uh, et cetera, except for the fact uh, that uh, the point guard, David Dennis, left with him. And, and still they lose. And, and by the way, David Dennis was really good. I mean, he was, uh, he was he terrific. Was really and so David Dennis leaves. And yet West Liberty, three years in now under Ben, is 81 and 13. I mean, that's ridiculous. You won 86% of their games after three years. So I, I tip my cap to Ben uh, and, and what he's done with this West Liberty program has been fantastic. And, and you look at here, they're 27 and four last year. Uh, they won 21 of their last 22 games, really got it rolling. But they bring back, as you mentioned, Dalton Bolin, Will Yoakum. A lot of people overlook Pat Robinson. Pat Robinson averaged 18 points, 4.3 rebounds, two assists a game, and only played 20, 23.9 minutes a game, shot 55%. And then you got Luke Dyer, who's now a graduate student, a lot of experience, uh, running the point with five, you know, 5.7 points, but he had four assists, 61 steals. Um, and, and they also bring back Malik McKinney, Marlon Moore, uh, and they play this, this style where it is just constant, similar to what we talked about West Texas A&M. But they're going to pick you up full court. They're going to come at you on offense, and they're just going to go, go, go. Uh, and they're going to they're going to play 11, 12, 13 players a night, and just keep you know. Whole, I don't want to say wholesale substitutions, but they're going to play player after player after player. I mean, even Dalton Bolin, he only played 27 minutes a game. Will Yoakum played 26.1 minutes a game. They rotate players like crazy, uh, so it becomes a little bit of a matchup challenge for teams. And now you got a team. Uh, that has both talent and experience uh, back, as long with chemistry, because so many of the, so much of the team is back from last year. Uh, they're going to be good, 
it it'll be interesting to see West Liberty uh, when they get against you know high level competition at Division two level where they fit in. Uh, yet they're 27 and four last year and returned most of their team. Won 21 of the 22 last games. Uh, they on paper they should be good. And to be honest, I just enjoy watching them play. Uh, they they get up and down the court. They create excitement. They're fun to watch. Good team. Very good team. Yeah. I- yeah, I mean, they're top 10 in, in the country in assists per game. They had uh, under under Coach Hallett, they've gone back-to-back years now, averaging more than 100 points per game and winning a scoring uh, a scoring title, leading the country in scoring. And they're top 10 in field goal percentage offense. So well, you can say their style of play is, is unique and it's crazy, but it is effective. And, you know, a lot of that shooting percentage comes from Picking up full court off a off a miss off a make, you know, picking up full court. Um, I think they create a lot of offense off of their defense. I think uh, again, you know, the uh, the corporate knowledge, so to speak, at West Liberty, you know, is, is really going to benefit them going forward because you've got you've got so many good teams at the top now in that mix between four, five, six, seven, and and let's jump. Let's jump right to Nova Southeastern and bridge that gap between Ben Howlett and, and Jim Crutchfield. Uh, Nova Southeastern, you know, they were number two in the country in scoring last year, picked preseason by the NABC uh, number six. Basketball Times picked them number eight. Now, you look, at, you look at what they return. I mean, you know, they're number one in the country assists per game, number two in the country points per game, number one in the country, Nova Southeastern is, in field goal percentage offense, they return, you know, three starters in Mark Matthews, um, uh, the freshman of the year, Sanhara, and then uh, Nick Smith. And, you know, they're all, they return three guys um, who can really, really play. And they, they're 23 and six, they're runner up in their league. You know, I mean, this is a team that comes back with a lot of firepower and and I'm excited to watch Nova Southeastern play. I think it could make a case for having them ranked higher than eight. Uh, oh, certainly. Yeah. I, you know what? And I'm just going to make a broad comment and we'll get to all these these teams in a moment. But, you know, we started talking about West Liberty, obviously, and now we're talking about Nova. Uh, I just jotted down. a Well, I've got pages of notes. But but at this point, <laughs> uh, you can it's almost a coin flip with many sides on it saying, you know, from here, who's better Nova Southeastern, West Liberty, Northern state, Ferris state. Uh, I like, I like stack IUP, Alabama, Huntsville. And then you got a a Florida Southern, uh, UMSL, Colorado school mines, but, but whether it's Nova, West Liberty, Northern state, Ferris state, stack IUP, uh, Alabama, Huntsville, you can probably make a case for almost all of those, almost in any order, uh, four through 10, to be honest. Uh, I, I, yeah, it's just, I agree. Th- they're all agree. really good. They're all really well coached. They all return a lot of players to their team. Um, and, and so I, I think it's just, it, it's just a really interesting dynamic that you look at these polls, they're probably a good example of that. Uh, you've got in essence, two lengthy polls, I say lengthy by 20 teams or more. And, uh, and you've got uh, what Wayne's done. And he mentioned some other teams in addition to his power 10. Uh, and you, you can almost put them in any order because we all know from coaching a long time that at the end of the day, you got to play it out. 
you, you got to play. Uh, but but on paper, I'll get back to Nova. I'm sorry for the sidebar, but yep. but but yeah, these no, uh, these teams are all good. We start talking about these top ten teams. I just think once you get past, frankly, Northwest Missouri and West Texas A and M, I, I think you can probably put actually even Lincoln putting Lincoln Memorial in in this group. You can probably put uh, three through ten between Lincoln Memorial, Nova, West Liberty, Northern State, Ferris State, Stack, IUP, Alabama, Huntsville, and even a Florida Southern or UMSO. You might be able to have that discussion uh, as our top ten teams. Uh, You can put and pull them out of a hat. You really could. could, I mean, so we'll we'll get back to Nova. So just a few comments on them. One, uh, the the big question mark, if you will is replacing Mark Matthews. And I guess you don't really replace Mark Matthews with how good Mark Matthews was. Because he's 6'6", muscular, but can go inside and outside. Uh, He really became a complete player as a terrific passer. I think most people knew he could score, but... Yeah, 151 yeah, assists on the year he's last six, year. Six power forward, right? And so he became—he mm-hmm. was such a threat because he could pass it so well. Uh, in addition to obviously being able to score, but he could go inside or out. He could put it in the floor, or he could post up. Uh, he could—he could knock down a three. Uh, obviously, he was kind of the do-it-all guy for him. So to lose a player at that level is—is is going to be tough. The flip side is that Coach Crutchfield is—is is clearly proven. Uh, over the years, what he did at West Liberty, the incredible turnaround at Nova Southeastern is in, is remarkable. But I, I want to talk about just a few players. I enjoyed watching them play last year. Uh, Nick Smith's a little bit underrated as a as a point guard. He averaged almost 14 a game, but he also averaged 5.7 rebounds, four assists, almost two steals a game. Uh, he's back for his senior year at the point. And then they they played a, a true freshman, R.J. Uh, Sunahara. And uh, he averaged just short of 13 a game over seven rebounds at 42 blocks. And he shot 60. And watching him, he didn't look like a freshman out there. Uh, he's, he's good. He's 6'8", and uh, he runs the floor well. He's got great hands. He finishes well around the basket. Just a really nice player. Uh, Eddie Poises averaged 10 points, shot 52% uh, a game. Uh, Lucas Speedle. Uh, went for 8.8 points, shot 58% from the field. He's about 6'7 himself. But then a little bit of an X factor here. They had a transfer from St. Rose. Uh, I still cannot pronounce his last name, so everybody's listening, please forgive me. But Siku Sia, he averaged 21.9 points, 11.6 rebounds, had 20 double-doubles for St. Rose last year. And so, I mean, 6'4", 6'5", power forward, but it's going to be fun to watch him integrate into Coach Crutchfield systems. He may not put up the same numbers as he did at St. Rose, but you're talking about a really talented guy thrown into the rotation here. Uh, but similar to West Liberty, the comment I made there, they're going to play a lot of guys. Uh, they, they normally do. I, uh, I just I thought they're really um, – Really enjoyable to watch. They're deep. But Nick Smith running the point guard, RJ Sunahara in the middle. Uh, watch out for Siku coming in as a new player. But Poises can shoot it. Uh, Lucas has got uh, goes inside and outside at 6'7". And I'll tell you, later in the season, uh, there was a, a freshman that I thought came along really well. And his numbers don't pop off the stat sheet at the moment. But I think Shane Hunter is a, um, a little bit of an X factor, if you will. If he continues to develop, he's 6'10", uh, and he can shoot the three. He goes inside and outside. Uh, I'm anxious to see his development. I thought the uh, the last quarter or so of the uh, the season, 
he really came along nicely. So I'm anxious to see his development coming forward. But uh, frankly, I like Nova. I think they're they're so well coached and uh, and and they're good. They're talented and well coached. Yeah, and uh, that's a good combination. It is a good combination. We're finding that with a lot of the teams at the, at the top of these polls. Uh, yeah, yeah, to your point, Shane Hunter, the number that draw that, that stands out to me. You know, he played in 27 games, so he's gotten experience more than 10 minutes a game. You know, guys like this, uh, guys like that, like like Shane Hunter, and and I really like Nick Smith too. He's a strong guard. Like he is just strong, uh, and he's strong with the ball. He, uh, you know, very very limited turnovers, almost two to one uh, assist to turnover ratio. So yeah, I think you're going to see him grow quite a bit this year. And and Nova could make a case. You know, all these teams, like we're saying, could make a case to be ranked anywhere. You know, three through three through ten. Um, you know, uh, you know, but so one thing I want to hit on that, that we're slowly going through this and, I, and I'm, I, I, that's great. Like I love what we're doing right now. So I'm, I want to hit on the fact, like we talked about, we have to play it out. Mm-hmm. Right, John. And there are so many unanswered questions. It goes without saying, we're talking about great coaches, you know, across the board, but just like everyone these great coaches have never been dealt this hand, right? And and how do they navigate that? How do their players navigate it? What's the physical health, the mental health of everyone in each program? That's going to go a long way to deal uh, with the difficulties that this season is going to provide, the irregularities that the teams are going to be thrown uh, thrown into this season. So I think managing that, is going to go a long way to determine what we see at the end of the year, hopefully getting that's a great observation. We, there's an old saying of you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, and we Mm -hmm. don't know, we we certainly know COVID-19 is here. Uh, We know we're dealing with it, uh, but we don't know how this is going to play it out, how it's going to affect the schedule itself. uh, How it, I mean, just as an example, our number one team in the country, Northwest Missouri state supposed to play their first game on Thursday night. That's already been uh, postponed. Uh, They've moved that to December 31st. They'll now, they'll now try on Saturday uh, because their opponent ended up with too many, uh, too many COVID cases. And we just, we don't know what's going to happen with the schedule. And frankly, you know, what players could end up with COVID? Which ones are quarantined just because they're around other people with COVID? And, you know, you, you take um, as good as, you know, we think that Northwest Missouri State has been and as well coached as they are, what happens when Trevor Hudgens is quarantined for two weeks in the middle of the season? Um, how does that play out? You hope that doesn't happen. And uh, I mean, it, it, right. Lordy, I please hope that doesn't happen to anybody. But, but, but even if yes. they're just quarantined, if truly, even if they're not sick, but they've got to miss two weeks and stay away from team activities. How does that impact if it's, if it's your star player? Uh, and it's because those things inevitably with as many players, as many teams as we're talking about, as many potential games and travel inevitably, I, I can't help but think that's going to happen somewhere along the line with some teams. Something's going to happen. Somebody's going to sprain an ankle. Somebody's going to have an injury. Somebody's going to be quarantined. Uh, this this season is just different. It's unlike any that I've dealt with, and, and like you, I've dealt with a lot of them. But uh, this is unlike any other one. Uh, I suppose if there's a silver lining for the student athletes is that it's not counting against their eligibility. But I'll tell you what, when they step between the lines, that, that's a non-factor. Uh, they're there to compete. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and that's every day in practice, too. You know, you're out there in practice. I mean – for for a lot a lot one issue 
And one difficulty or challenge, I think a lot of coaches are dealing with at all levels, you know, division, division two, division one, especially because more leagues have announced a return to play. But, you know, if you're, if you're open to practice in October, October 1st, and, and, and your league isn't returning to play until let's say, you know, like, let's take the, the peach belt, for example, they just announced they're coming back and they're going to start play January 6th. How do you keep your kids fresh physically? How do you keep their minds fresh? What do you do every day in practice without killing each other? You know, for, for October, November, December, into January, that's a, that's a preseason that coaches have never had to deal with before. Maintaining health and preparation, you know, for, for a, a schedule that's going to start in January. Great point. I mean, it, you know, like, like what do you do for 90 days of practice? That's, that's almost an entire season's worth of practice before you play your yeah, first like, game. Like, like we were talking about, this is a season like none other. <laughs> this is, this is yeah. so unusual. Let's keep rolling with some of these teams. I'm loving this, Chris. This is good stuff. Yeah. So one of the first, one of the first interviews I did was Mike Donnelly from For- Florida Southern. They are, uh, they're ranked number six, according to, uh, basketball times. They are number five uh, in the NABC, like the rest of the programs we're talking about. You can toss them up in the air. They return uh, preseason All-American Jalen Hinton. Um, he's second team, you know, all uh, Sunshine State Conference last year. He was the defensive player of the year. You know, I, watching them in their evolution, they are really good. Uh, I, I think they're really good defensively. They're obviously going to miss – uh, Brett Hansen, the National Player of the Year last year, but I think Coach Donnelly has done a great job of getting, you know, Florida Southern back into the mix uh, after after a couple of years of rebuilding the program in his in his image. Uh, you know, in his last three years, he's seventy five and uh, and twenty one, so they are back. Um, and I think I think you got to look for them to build around an athlete like Jalen Hinton. Uh, going forward. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Jalen Hinton's a uh, long-armed, incredible athlete. Uh, he averaged you know, 15 points, 8.7 rebounds, 3.4 blocks, 2.8 assists, and shot 67% from, uh, from the field, which is ridiculous. Uh, however, uh, I, I tell you what, he really takes it out on the rim. Boy, that guy, he, he, yeah. he, he's, he's literally up there putting his head on the rim and just – he, he's tough. He's, he's a good player. What's, what's nice about Jalen Hinton is he plays both ends of the floor. Uh, he can really defend and block shots and rebound. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a tough matchup because he's so freaking athletic. Uh, about 6'6", just crazy athlete. But, you know, similar. I'm going to make a similar comment to what I just made in regards to Lincoln Memorial, uh, is that you've got a Florida Southern team that's ranked very high. Uh, that just lost the national player of the year. But in addition to that, they lost, lost Jack Roush. Uh, six, seven, six, eight. He went, played inside and out. Not he's primarily an inside player, but but he could draw the defense out because he could shoot the ball. And they also had a, a, a transfer who started, transfer uh, uh, Jerry Rogers. He came in from Concord in uh, West Virginia. Yeah. And uh, he was a little bit of a spark plug for him, somebody that could uh, uh, could get to the bucket, could shoot it, could just – just put, put the ball in the bucket. And so they lose. Yeah. He was their leading three point. I mean, Rogers made, you know, led the, led the team and made three. Yeah. Three point field so goals. You, you've got so, the NABC player of the year. Who's a guard. Who's obviously really good. And Brett Hansen. And you got mm-hmm. Jerry Rogers who leads the team in three point field goals. You lose Jack Rouse. So you lose three starters off this team. And so, you know, coach Donnelly's got some huge expectations from the polls 
yet he's coming back, yet he's losing his backcourt, one of the players of which is the player of the year in the country. And so I, I, I just say that that's a tribute to me. That's a, just like with, uh, with Lincoln Memorial, uh, that's a tribute and, and a, a bit of recognition for the coach. That's a bit of recognition for Lincoln Memorial and Mike Donnelly. Uh, I'm sorry, Lincoln Memorial with Josh Schertz and Mike Donnelly at Florida Southern. Uh, that, that's a big tribute to them. If you can say you know, you're ranked in the top five or top 10 in a national poll and you just lost three of your five starters, in, in this case, the, including the national player of the year, uh, and you're ranked in the top five or 10 in the country, uh, that's a tip of the cap to the coach, I think. Uh, it, it's also a tip of the cap to the fact they went 29-2 and two last year. Has a lot to do with that. Right. Um, so, in addition, we talk a lot about Jalen Hinton, and again, for good reason. Uh, he's he's just he contributes. He can help you win in so many ways, and I'll tell you, he'll help you win in ways that don't even show up in the the scoreboard because he's going to defend. I mean, not going to show up in a box score because he can really defend. But in addition to this, uh, Brandon Carroll brings back a lot of experience. He's a a graduate student, averaged eleven point three points and five rebounds. Uh, EJ Damerville averaged 11.6 and 6.1 rebounds. Uh, he's a junior and he's back again. And, uh, and then Xavier Rhodes is going to have to really, um, contribute considerably. He came off the bench last year. He was on the national championship team with Northwest Missouri state as a true freshman. I went to Rockwest right. high school in Kansas city, uh, won the national title there after his freshman year and decided to transfer. He's playing behind, uh, Diego Bernard and Trevor uh, Hudgens. Decided to transfer, and, and now's his chance. Uh, it, I think it's going to be important for Florida Southern for him to really rise up this year. Uh, he's, you know, they lose their starting backcourt, so Xavier Rhodes is the heir apparent right now, coming into his junior year. He's a nice player, uh, but he's going to have to really step up, uh, and we're going to have to see some significant growth in his game. Which, by the way, I think he can do. I think he's got uh, got the talent to do it, uh, but it's the role for him now instead of being coming off the bench. Xavier Rhodes going to be looked to to be a primary ball handler. But I'd also say keep an eye out for the newcomer, Max Curran, 6'9 transfer from UMBC, broke his hand there. Uh, but he's got a chance to, uh, uh, to really make a, an impact. And here's a guy uh, that, again, could really benefit from this new rule. Is Here's a guy who got hurt and therefore didn't play a whole lot last year. But 6'9, really talented. But now, if he so chooses, uh, and the school so chooses, uh, he's got two years left, which could make a big difference uh, for him and for the team. So I think keep an eye on Max Curran uh, could really contribute. All of a sudden, you got a, a heck of a front line with Jalen Hinton and Max Curran, uh, adding with uh, Brandon Carroll, um, Xavier Rhodes, and Damerville. I, I think, think they, as they gel throughout the season, uh, I think they have a chance to be really good by the end of the year. And again, a tip of the cap to Mike Donnelly. I'm saying, I'm saying they got a chance to be really good at the end of the year, partly because I think he does such a good job that uh, they peak at the right time of the year. And, uh, and, and that's not an easy thing to come into the season knowing you just lost three starters, including the national player of the year, and the polls have you in the top ten in the country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think they're really good defense. I think he does a great job defensively. They guard really well. Offensively, they move the ball well. I mean, here's the other thing, too. You know, Brett Hansen didn't pass the eye test. <laughs> Correct. And you watch Brett Hansen play, that dude was a yeah. shot maker. I mean, he just made shots, and he got to his spot on the floor. He really controlled tempo, controlled the game. I think that's going to take some time for Florida Southern to adjust to, not having that steady – 
uh, presence of Brett Hansen, you know, as a shot maker, but also like just to keep your team under control. He was so good with the Boy, basketball. That's a great observation. Uh, it's bingo. And, and I think, I think you just hit it on the head. I don't know if I could say it much better. Great job. Well, okay. So talking about, unfortunately we are going through COVID and UMSL. All right. So let's go, let's turn our attention to UMSL, University of Missouri, St. Louis, preseason number seven in basketball times and preseason number nine, uh, NABC. They make their first NCAA tournament appearance in 32 years. They win a share of the regular season title. You know, they're the number three seed in the Midwest regional. And, and just like that, their, their season is canceled. So when I talked to coach Sunvold, uh, who was a basketball lifer, you know, we had a great conversation about managing the expectations of this preseason poll, managing the expectations of what they did last year. And, you know, like what happens with uh, what happens with a guy like Jose Grubbs, uh, Yakima Rose. And then I think a, a guy who's who's probably going to have a, a more breakout season than last year, Steve Webb. Uh, he was all freshman team defensive player of the year in in, in the in the uh you know, in the GLVC. And, and that's a really, that's a really, really good league because there are teams that we're not even talking about in the top 25 who are probably in consider should be in consideration for the top 25. So I think Steve Webb is really going to be a cog for Robert Sumbold and uh, Umsel this year going into the GLVC. What do you think about uh, Missouri St. Louis? Uh, I'd John? say, I think the GLVC is completely up for grabs this year. It's because of just what you mentioned. They're just t- typically a really good league. And there's a lot of question marks coming into the league in, in a good way. I mean, there's just, you got yeah. you know, Stan, I'll get back to them in a second, but got Stan Gerard who had built the Indianapolis team up really good. They were looking like they're going to be really good this year. Then he leaves, go back to his alma mater and uh, in the university of Southern Indiana and a couple of his players leave with him. So uh, you got Southern Indiana that should be pretty good, but then Indianapolis, pretty good uh you got umsel obviously with this fantastic season last year and a, a number of key players back uh and and you've got uh, drury who's got a couple really key players back that drury should be pretty darn good uh and and i'll tell you what a little bit of a sleeper in that conference keep an eye out for rockhurst rockhurst returns uh pretty much the whole core of their team from last year. And they had a, a, a player sitting out, a junior college transfer sitting out last year uh, that was that was really good. So I think Rockhurst is going to uh, potentially be a little bit of a sleeper in the uh, GLVC. But back to UMSL, uh, I just want to point out a couple things, uh, and that is two, two things. One, you, you talked about Coach Sunvold as a lifer. Uh, guy just loves the game. It's just uh, – it, you know, what a passion yeah. for the game. And it's, it's great to talk to people like that. It's such a, just, just so enjoyable to talk to people with passion and people that uh, have passion for this game, for their players. And so my second observation is Akima Rose is really good. That sucker. That sucker. Yeah, he is. He is so <laughs> and, and what's something about uh, UMSL, when you look at a, uh, the, the season box score or even game box scores, typically the numbers don't pop off the screen. Uh, you know, there's nobody that's averaging 25 a game or nobody averaging 12 or 15 rebounds or nobody averaging eight or 10 assists. Uh, they're, they're deep. They pressure you. They're well coached. They defend, uh, and, and they're going to be a pain in the neck to play against uh, because they're so quick. Uh, I I just I'm a big fan of Yakima Rose. I just think he he just he's so quick, and you know there's a lot of guys that are quick, 
not all of them use it to their advantage so well. I think he used it to the advantage to get to the paint and make things happen. And on defense, he could drive you crazy. Uh, so I think he's he's a winner. And you probably saw the in the uh, conference tournament the uh, last second three hits to win the game. Yeah, yeah the three just, hit. I mean, yeah. he's he's a gamer. Uh, he's he's a winner, and uh, I like watching Yakima Rose and uh, just enjoy watching their whole team. And uh, you know, tip of the cap to uh, to Coach Sunvold for for the program he's built uh, over the last couple years at uh, UMSL. So uh, well done, and I'm looking forward to watching him play this year. And staying with staying with basketball lifers. Joe Lombardi, <laughs> yeah, IEP. I got it. I mean, talk about a light. That's a, that was a fun interview. That was a fun, that was a fun podcast. I mean, we're, you got some stories about Calipari. He's got some stories about, you know, Pennsylvania, like the whole, just the whole connection uh, to the game that he has. IUP, you know, returns preseason All-American Armani Foster. Um, first, you know, he, he averaged 20 points a game. Uh, and they they have the reigning freshman of the year, uh, Ethan uh, Porterfield, 10 points a game. You know, for any freshman to start 21 games at a program like IUP, where they're consistently good, uh, it is really impressive. They're top 25 in field goal percentage offense, top five in the country defensively field goal percentage defense. They really guard. I mean, the one thing that I took away watching IUP – how, how hard they compete, how hard they defend. They are preseason number five uh, in the basketball times. They are preseason number four with the NABC. Um, but in the PSAC, you know, it, I think that that league is kind of up for grabs. I think they are the, uh, I think they are the, you know, the, the favorite for certain, but, um, but, you know, 75 and 11, the last five years are home. They don't lose at home. And, and again, when you have the freshman of the year coming back and a preseason All-American, Armani Foster, you know, I think, I think IUP is in a really good place as one of these top teams that returns two key contributors and has other good pieces around. Them. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head at the beginning in terms of the, uh, the lifer, if you will, and Joe Lombardi and, uh, <laughs> You know, he came, came from Pitt as an assistant coach a long time ago. But uh, I saw something uh, just written. I think it was Wayne Cavati saying, you know, what would a top 10 poll be without IUP? And, and I think Joe's earned that. Coach Lombardi's earned that, that year after year after year, uh, they've just been consistently good for years. You know, you look uh, a lot of years, you look and say, well, they got three or four seniors this year. Next year is going to be a rebuilding year. Well, primarily they rebuild with 25 wins. Uh, it's, it's just been remarkable yeah. what he's the consistency year after year after year, uh, last year, 28 and two. I mean, that's fantastic. Now, you know, similar to some of the other teams we, we mentioned, you know, they, they do lose Malik Miller, who was really good, all region performer, uh, good, good player. And, uh, they also lose another starter in Chucky Humphreys who averaged 7.4 points and 6.3 rebounds. Uh, the flip side is they return three or five starters, but I picked something up and I probably should have known this earlier in the season. Uh, but uh, Tommy uh, Demer, I'm still working on pronouncing this Demer Gontis, uh Tommy, <laughs> Tommy yeah, D I, is what uh, Joe okay, called him. So Tommy I think D. that makes our life a little bit easier. Let's just go Tommy D. But uh, you know, as you, since you talked about him, you're familiar fourth game of the year last year, he got hurt, missed the entire rest of the season. Right. But at that point he's averaging 16.8 points and nine rebounds at that point. Uh, and so you throw him back into the lineup now with the other players. You know, I remember when I was uh, athletic director at Lynn university, we had a really good team. Coach Scott McMillan came in. Uh, I'm reverting to something because this is relevant that uh, Scott in his second year, coach McMillan had a really good team, good experience, good talent. Uh, and we had a really good player get injured. 
um, Chris Temple was his name, 6'7", got injured. And uh, we had a, a player come off the bench typically that now gets inserted into the starting lineup. And, uh, and all of a sudden, that player got more confidence, got more playing time, got more experience. And, and by the time Chris Temple came back into the lineup, uh, all of a sudden we got, he's got a bit of competition, frankly, uh, for his old position. But the team got better because the experience some players got that they may not have gotten uh, otherwise. And I think the similar scenario, Tommy D goes down early in the season and other people therefore get a little bit more playing time, more experience. Uh, and now you insert him back into a lineup uh, with guys that have experience that may not have otherwise. And so you bring back Tommy D back and Ronnie Foster, you mentioned Porterfield, but, uh, but in addition to that, you know, Shondell Jones averaged 10.1 points and 4.8 rebounds and Dave Morris averaged nine and a half points and 3.8 rebounds and led the team in assists and they're all back. So you've got, um, this team's going to be good. I, I think they're, they're going to be really, yeah. really good. Uh, th- I think they're on a, a, a short list of teams that can compete with the Northwest Missouri state to win it all. I think. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I would agree, especially the way, uh, the way they defend, you know, uh, nothing stood out to me more than how hard they defend, how good they are defensively and, and connected they are defensively. So um, yeah, IUP is up there, especially with four guys with that much experience. Then you throw Tommy D back into the mix. You know, I think, I think they're a team that can contend at the very, very top, uh, Chris, you know, certainly. just I want to bring up something um, you just brought up. That yep. I think, think is a really yeah. good point that you picked up. That the one thing we're not going to see in the box scores, or we're not going to see on the awards, is defense. And I just had mentioned previously that uh, IUP has just been consistently good year in and year out. And I think what we're talking about is a common theme with these teams that we're talking about today. Uh, most of these teams, if you look back three years and five years we're talking about coaches that have primarily been there for a while and you're mm-hmm. talking about uh, teams that defend almost all, all these teams actually mm-hmm. yeah. all the ones we've talked about in the next few we'll talk about they defend they really really defend and so when we talk about well why are you typically in the top 10 or 15 or 20 in the country well that's because even though you may lose players inevitably people are going to graduate and move on the uh, the core uh, defensively is there year in and year out. You bring in new people. Uh, they buy into this philosophy that if I'm going to get playing time, if I'm going to play at this program, I got to defend or else I'm probably not going to play. And I just wanted to bring yeah. that up. I thought that was a good observation you brought up about, you know, how IUP defends. And I completely agree. And I'd also say that the other teams we're talking about, uh, while they may play slightly different defense, they may teach something slightly different at the end of the day, the reason they're consistently good year in and year out is they defend. It's not the only reason, but it's a key reason why they're consistent. Yeah. And and the cool thing about doing this podcast, John, and talking to all these incredible coaches is, you know, the recipe always tastes a, a little bit different. The final product always tastes a little bit different, but the recipe is pretty much the same, you know, the recipe is pretty much the same. It's always great defense, really connected offensively. Of course, great players, great coaching, and everybody does it a little bit differently, you know. And, and so that's been really cool to see the spectrum of how coaches are operating, what they're doing in the off season, what are they doing, you know, in season. So that that's been really cool. The number the number nine team in the country is Azusa Pacific. They're ranked number nine in basketball times. They're ranked number 11 in NABC. 
And interestingly enough, uh, they were left out of Wayne Cavadi's uh, Power 10. So some interesting stuff I felt like, you know, with, with Azusa Pacific, uh, Peter Bond, you know, I thought he uh, he did a great job last year in his first year. Now he's going to be asked to navigate high expectations, uh, a Pac West regular season championship, coach of the year honors. And, you know, a, a top 10 ranking, he's going to be asked to navigate high expectations and this season coming up with COVID. Uh, but he does have, you know, three guys back who played a significant amount of games, 29 games each, played uh, all their games. And, you know, he's got uh, Brennan Reimer, who I think, you know, is going to be the cog for them this year. He averaged 12 points per game, had 131 assists. Uh, Terrence Bevkar. Um, you know, a guard, a senior, uh, played in all 29 games. And then Ben Avera, a junior guard, eight points per game, you know, led the team in three points made. I think, you know, Azusa Pacific has a lot back, but there's a lot of unanswered questions based on the circumstances surrounding last year's performance and this year's expectations among uh, you know among what's going yeah, on I'll, I'll be blunt with you on this one they're they're athletic directors on our uh, hall of fame committee so i i have a, a, mm -hmm. a, a i don't know what i want to say right there but i know i know him very, very pine and th this uh this surprised me to be blunt they lost uh their the heart of their team uh the the anchor to their team was salome mugabe oh. who was he was a finalist for yeah. a vivo france award last year and he impacted the game on both ends of the court to a huge extent. Uh, I talked to Ken Ammon, the uh, coach at Concordia, and, and he just raved about the development. And he's, you know, 6'10", long arms, terrific shot blocker who just developed tremendously over the years. And to lose a player of that caliber, I mean, you're talking about the player of the year in the league, an All-American player, uh, you know, he just, it just he shot 71.8% from the field while averaging almost 17 points, 10.4 rebounds. Um, you know, he just he had 91 block shots. He was a clear difference maker uh, on that team. And so uh, I, I was just I was a little surprised to see them rank this high. Now, with that said, we go back to what we've commented before about, you know, the coaching. Uh, and once you build your your philosophy, uh, once you get people to buy in, you build your culture. I know that's kind of been the, the key word for years now. The build, buzzword, yeah. yeah. And, and there's some truth to it. So, you know, Coach Bonds got, gets credit for building a culture. Uh, and so they just, they lose, when you lose uh, Salome Mugabe, uh, that's just such a big loss. I mean, we talk about other, you know, with Brett Hansen and, uh, and some others that, uh, you know, Malik Miller at IUP, but being 6'10", and he's just a game changer in the middle. And so it's going to be a different team. Uh, th this year, certainly. And we'll see. Having said that, you know, we'll see if, if he's able to develop any of these other young big big guys. They're huge in terms of their roster size. It, you know, they, they go yeah. six, eight, six, 11, seven feet tall up, up front, up front. If any of these guys are able to be developed, um, then then we may be talking about an elite program around the country. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, frankly, out, out west. I really, I really like Point Loma Nazarene. I, I think, I think they're really good. They got a lot back. Uh, their, their coach has done a great job. I don't, you know, want to jump from one to another too much, but uh, Point, Point Loma yeah. is the one who returns an awful lot from a team who really gelled uh, late in the season. 
So out West, I, I think Point Loma is going to be really good this year. Uh, Matt Logie's done a terrific job. Uh, but ha- having said that, to, to be honest, in terms of Azusa Pacific, I'm really anxious to watch them play. Uh, because with them being ranked this high after losing somebody that good uh, and that impactful, uh, I'm anxious to see him. Uh, I, I want to see him play how, how they adjust without an impactful big man uh, to that extent. He was truly among the, the elite big man in the country last year. Well, he got, you know, what was interesting to watch them and then speaking with Peter Bond in, in an interview a couple of weeks ago, you know, uh, he impacted the game offensively and defensively, right? And so they also lose uh, Jake Spurgeon, which is a really big loss because of his ability to stretch the floor mm, and shoot the ball. And when you have, you know, you got one guy that can shoot the ball, it's okay. You got two or three, you know, you take Jake Spurgeon off that team and you struggle to find some makes on the perimeter with a big, uh, with a big like Mabuga. And so I think that's going to change the dynamic of how they play. I know Coach Bond talked about that with me on the podcast they're going to play a little bit differently um so, so i think you know they have enough back to be to be in the mix but you know how they adjust is going to be is going to be really really interesting because losing uh, losing a guy like spurgeon again another cog uh, on the perimeter will impact uh, will impact uh the pacific so let's get to let's get to number 10 john in the basketball times ranking northern mm-hmm. state coach uh Saul Phillips and, and man we we actually I'm gonna I'm gonna put his interview up this week um he was awesome we had such a fun time talking about Northern State and and first of all what a what an incredible program the legacy of the men's basketball program at Northern State is incredible and um and, and coach Phillips made a great point you know he gets up every day he goes to the office and there's a there's a bust of Don Meyer, you know, that stares at him from, I guess, the facility into his office. And he says, if they, you know, if that doesn't make you want to work hard, you know, you're in the wrong profession. So, you know, like the, he, he is trying to fill some really, really big shoes. Um, but but I love all right, let's talk about Northern State because uh, they finished 26 and six last year. Tournament champions in the Northern Sun, um, it, you know. Parker Fox is a stud. I mean, he's a preseason All-American. He is a stud, and, and he's, a, he's a big man, 20 points per game, eight rebounds per game, defensive player of the year, um, you know, not, top 10 in the country in blocked shots. He had 10 blocks in one game, set a Northern Sun record. Parker Fox is a stud, and, and then you put him – uh, with Mason Stark, a returning guard uh, who made 61% from three. You know, he, he, first of all, he made 61 and he shot 60%. So that's pretty good uh, for anyone. And uh, I couldn't do that probably on my own by myself. But, uh, you know, so like you got those two guys back. And I think Parker Fox is really, really good in a really good league. Yeah. So I want to comment uh, to begin with on Coach Meyer, since you brought him up. Um, I had a chance to coach against him and um, and, and then uh, introduce him um, at the NAI banquet a few years back. I asked him to come back to speak uh, to the coaches um, after he had uh, won the ESPY award and um, and had a really good time with he and his wife, Carmen, at dinner the night before and just had a chance to spend a bit of time with him. And a little little bit before he passed away, he called and I told him I was 
traveling the country, speaking to coaches and, um, and, and he knew it. And I used him as an example, uh, in, in a number of my, my speeches around the country and in a presentation called lessons of the legends, what we learned from America's great coaches. And I said, you know, coach, I said, you know, what do you want me to pass on to coaches? What message do you want me to get across to coaches from you? And, and I just, I want to bring this up while we've got an audience, hopefully of coaches and others uh, listening to this. And he said, please tell coaches their example is not the, the main thing in influencing people. It's the only thing your example your example, your example is the only thing in influencing the hearts and minds of young people. And so I just want to pass on that message from Coach Meyer. Uh, he, he called shortly before he passed away. And, uh, and I just, when I have an opportunity, I like to pass on his messages that he asked me to pass on uh, just before he passed away. Um, in regards to this year's team at Northern State, uh, you hit the nail on the head. Saul Phillips is uh, kind of the salt of the earth, good, good guy. Have him tell you the story about if he hasn't already about him delivering a baby last year in a car in a car that was oh. stuck along the highway in South Dakota. Um, it was incredible story, by the way. And he literally helped deliver a baby uh, this past year. But uh, at any rate, uh, Parker Fox. Now that's a fun player to watch right there. In, in terms oh, of the combination oh, of size and athletic ability. Um, it might be about as good as it gets in Division II basketball. Last night, uh, for those that are listening, put, pull up the highlight film. Just go to go to YouTube, put in Parker Fox Northern State. Um, I spent, I can't remember what it was, 12, 15 minutes watching his highlight film from his uh, sophomore year last year. Um, and you'll see what I mean. If anybody questions about the talent level of Division II basketball, just pull up that YouTube link of Parker Fox and his sophomore year highlight. And and watch how he is rocking the rim on that thing. He has, it's incredible. And his, like I, I gotta just interrupt and interject, John, because his ability to finish with yes. both hands, and like that's tremendous in and of itself. But then you watch him contort his body, and he doesn't he doesn't necessarily. T- you know, we talk about guys all the time finishing through contact. Parker Fox doesn't really finish through a lot of contact. He just kind of gets away. He maneuvers. He just, he maneuvers and he contorts his body to where there's, I mean, there are fouls being called and it looks like there's no one near him, you know? And it's like, he just kind of moves his body like a, and he just like a slinky. He just kind of like gets his body in there, finishes with both hands and makes it look yeah, effortless. His, um, his first step is pretty incredible and his motor uh, just up and down yeah. the court. Uh, it, it, you're right. And that's a great observation on the, on the, the ability to finish two hands. Uh, but you talked about sometimes he doesn't always finish you know, through contact. I, I guess you could make a case in a lot of cases he's finishing over the contact. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But like you said, his first step, your, your comment about his first step, he, he gives Northern State a dynamic, you know, with Mason Stark you know, on a ball screen. You know, in their in their conference championship game, they tried to switch on the ball screens. I uh, forget who they played, and Mason Stark just went by everyone. And then when they didn't switch, Parker Fox would just pop. And his first step on the perimeter, John, is is like yeah, you've lightning. got a real matchup issue there with with Parker because you yeah. know you, you put a big guy on him, and to be honest, he's just quicker and more athletic than just about any of the big guys around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you say, well, geez, he's quick and athletic, so we'll put a little bit you know smaller guy on him that's quicker and more athletic. Well, that's great. Go put a six three six four guy on him. He's six eight and can jump out of the gym. 
And so, you know, you go post them up and it's going to be pretty tough to stop them there. So it's just, it's, it's a, a challenging matchup, I think, with Parker Fox. And you bring up a great point when he and Mason Stark run the, uh, uh, the pick and roll. It's, it's just you pick, pick your poison, so to speak. You know, and, and then I, I want to bring attention to the fact that they've got four of their five starters back. Uh, and Tommy Chapman was yeah. a true freshman starting in Northern State. And, uh, I mean, he averaged 8.6 points. But, uh, you know, as a freshman, had the ball in his hands a tremendous tremendous amount of the time. Uh, and I think we're going to see a nice evolution from him. He's a uh, uh, talented point guard, but he's steady. Just makes on the whole, makes good decisions for a well-coached team. And then you got Andrew Kalman who, uh, who averaged 8.4 points, but he also is consistent. He averaged 4.1 rebounds, 3.9 assists, uh, sort of a glue guy, if you will, for him. But here you got a team that's 26 and six, uh, who won the Northern sun, tournament they finished on a nine game win streak as they really gelled parker fox was the mvp of the northern sun uh tournament and so you got a team that was on a roll at the end of the year that really began to gel and returns four of their five starters i, I frankly i think they're really good I, I think again you know as similar to what i mentioned about iup and frankly i can mention about just about any of the teams we've talked to talked about you know west liberty uh, uh florida southern nova southeastern um you know on and on i, I think they're on a short list of teams that can compete with Northwest Missouri state. Uh, I think I'm not saying they would beat them. I'm saying that, that they're on a short list of teams that, that, that up have there. a good chance getting the elite eight and competing uh, right with them. They're gelling at the right time. And, and heck with a relatively young team last year, uh, starting four non-seniors, they went 26 and six starting a pure freshman point guard. So, uh, and, and Parker Fox was only a sophomore. So I think, I think Northern state is a solid good team uh i i like him and i think saul phillips does a really good job yeah i i have to agree with you i think the balance that northern state has which we haven't seen in the last couple of teams we've talked about we've talked about returners but we haven't talked about that inside out balance coming back you know parker fox and then on the perimeter with mason stark and calman and chapman i think calman is a breakout performer this year i i think i think andrew calman is one of the best passers, you know, in the country. If you watch him play at 126 assists, and when Coleman and Stark handle the ball in a ball screen with Parker Fox, so when there's any ball screen with with one of those combinations, they they get they they average like 1.3 points per possession. So if you put those two out of those three players in a ball screen, I mean, you know, Stark and Coleman get the ball to Parker Fox and he's going to score or they're going to score against a mismatch in the perimeter. So I think North, I think Northern state has a lot of potential um, as, you know, as, as we round out the top yeah, 10. Absolutely. I, I think, I think, I think they're a solid team. You got four or five starters back that are really well coached. that have a lot of experience that finished on a nine game win streak that went 26 and six. And frankly, they played in a good league uh, that, that tested them. So I, I think, I think Northern state's a really good team. Uh, very good. And they're very deserving of their ranking, uh, at, at least that high, I would say. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Bonafide Basketball Podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and download this episode and future episodes of the Bonafide Basketball Podcast. You can follow the Bonafide Basketball Podcast on Twitter or Instagram at Bonafide underscore BB underscore pod. You can listen to the Bonafide Basketball Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 
or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast episode. This is the NCAA Division II Men's Basketball Insight, Commentary, and Analysis you're not getting on ESPN.